Chapter 24 of My Southern Home, or The South and Its People. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. My Southern Home, or The South and Its People, by William Wells Brown. Chapter 24 the education of the negro in the south is the most important matter that we have to deal with at present and one that will claim precedence of all other questions for many years to come when soon after the breaking out of the rebellion schools for the freedmen were agitated in the north and teachers dispatched from new england to go down to teach the poor contrabands i went before the proper authorities in boston and asked that a place be given to one of our best educated colored young ladies who wanted to devote herself to the education of her injured race and the offer was rejected upon the ground that the time for sending colored teachers had not come this happened nearly twenty years ago from that moment to the present i have watched with painful interest the little progress made by colored men and women to become instructors of their own race in the southern states under the spur of the excitement occasioned by the proclamation of freedom and the great need of schools for the blacks thousands of dollars were contributed at the north and agents sent to great britain where generosity had no bounds money came in from all quarters and some of the noblest white young women gave themselves up to the work of teaching the freedmen during the first three or four years this field for teachers was filled entirely by others than members of the colored race, and yet it was managed by the New England Freedmen's Association, made up in part by some of our best men and women. But many energetic, educated, colored young women and men volunteered, and at their own expense went south and began private schools, and literally forced their way into the work. This was followed by a few appointments, which in every case proved that colored teachers for colored people was the great thing needed. Upon the foundations laid by these small schools, some of the most splendid educational institutions in the South have sprung up. Fisk, Howard, Atlanta, Hampton, Tennessee Central, Virginia Central, and Strait are some of the most prominent. These are all under the control and management of the whites, and are accordingly conducted upon the principle of whites for teachers and blacks for pupils. And yet each of the above institutions are indebted to the sympathy felt for the Negro, for their very existence. Some of these colleges give more encouragement to the Negro to become an instructor than others, but none, however, have risen high enough to measure the black man independent of his color. At Petersburg I found a large, fine building for public schools for colored youth. The principal, a white man, with six assistants, but not one colored teacher amongst them. Yet Petersburg has turned out some most excellent colored teachers, two of whom I met at Suffolk with small schools. These young ladies had graduated with honors at one of our best institutions, and yet could not obtain a position as teacher in a public school where the pupils were only their own race. 
At Nashville, the school board was still more unjust, for they employed teachers who would not allow their colored scholars to recognize them on the streets, and for doing which the children were reprimanded, and the action of the teachers approved by the Board of Education. It is generally known that all the white teachers in our colored public schools feel themselves above their work, and the fewest number have any communication whatever with their pupils outside the schoolroom. Upon receiving their appointments and taking charge of their schools, some of them have been known to announce to their pupils that under no circumstances were they to recognize or speak to them on the streets. It is very evident that these people have no heart in the work they are doing, and simply from day to day go through the mechanical form of teaching our children for the pittance they receive as a salary. While teachers who have no interest in the children they instruct, except for the salary they get, are employed in the public schools and in the freedmen's colleges, hundreds of colored men and women, who are able to stand the most rigid examination, are idle, or occupying places far beneath what they deserve. It is expected that the public schools will, to a greater or less extent, be governed by the political predilections of the parties in power. But we ought to look for better things from Fisk, Hampton, Howard, Atlanta, Tennessee Central, and Virginia Central, whose walls sprung up by money raised from appeals made for Negro education. There are, however, other educational institutions of which I have not made mention, and which deserve the patronage of the benevolent everywhere. These are Wilberforce, Berea, Payne Institute in South Carolina, Waco College in Texas, and Storer College at Harper's Ferry. Wilberforce is well known, and is doing a grand work. It has turned out some of the best of our scholars, men whose labors for the elevation of their race cannot be too highly commended. Storer College, at Harper's Ferry, looks down upon the ruins of John Brown's fort. In the ages to come, Harper's Ferry will be sought out by the traveler from other lands. Here, at the confluence of the Potomac and the Shenandoah Rivers, on a point just opposite the gap through which the United Streams pass the Blue Ridge, on their course toward the ocean, stands the romantic town, and a little above it, on a beautiful eminence, is Storer, an institution, and of whose officers I cannot speak too highly. I witnessed with intense interest the earnest efforts of these good men and women in their glorious work of the elevation of my race. And while the benevolent of the North are giving of their abundance, I would earnestly beg them not to forget Storer College at Harper's Ferry. The other two, of which I have made mention, are less known, but their students are numerous and well trained. Both these schools are in the South, and both are owned and managed by colored men, free from the supposed necessity of having white men to do their thinking, and therein ought to receive the special countenance of all who believe in giving the colored people a chance to paddle their own canoe. I failed, however, to find schools for another part of our people, which appear to be much needed. For many years in the olden time, the South was noted for its beautiful quadroon women. 
Bottles of ink and reams of paper have been used to portray the finely cut and well-molded features, the silken curls, the dark and brilliant eyes, the splendid forms, the fascinating smiles and accomplished manners of these impassioned and voluptuous daughters of the two races, the unlawful product of the crime of human bondage. When we take into consideration the fact that no safeguard was ever thrown around virtue, and no inducement held out to slave women to be pure and chaste, we will not be surprised when told that immorality pervaded the domestic circle in the cities and towns of the South to an extent unknown in the northern states. Many a planter's wife has dragged out a miserable existence with an aching heart at seeing her place in the husband's affections usurped by the unadorned beauty and captivating smiles of her waiting maid. Indeed, the greater portion of the colored women in the days of slavery had no greater aspiration than that of becoming the finely dressed mistress of some white man. Although freedom has brought about a new order of things, and our colored women are making rapid strides to rise above the dark scenes of the past, yet the want of protection to our people since the old-time whites have regained power places a large number of the colored young women of the cities and towns at the mercy of bad colored men, or worse, white men. To save these from destruction, institutions ought to be established in every large city. Mrs. Julia G. Thomas, a very worthy lady, deeply interested in the welfare of her sex, has a small institution for orphans and friendless girls, where they will have a home, schooling, and business training, to fit them to enter life with a prospect of success. Mrs. Thomas's address is 190 High Street, Nashville, Tennessee. End of chapter 24 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.